While fleeing Apaches, this gentleman from Virginia found a strangely shimmering cave. When he entered it, he discovered his body had somehow split in two. One form lay dead on the cave floor, while the other was mystically transported through time and space to the planet Mars. Stan Lee presents Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 104, The Valiant Die But Once, The Master Assassin of Mars, Chapter 4, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, Issue Number 19, December 1978. Welcome back to another episode of Marvel's Cosmic Comics, presented by the Comic Book Time Machine, which can be found at comicbooktimemachine.com, which has lots of different episodes about lots of different comics. There's something for everyone. But if you're listening to this, that means you're listening to the feed that is specifically about Marvel's sci-fi and fantasy comics from 1977 to 1986. That is the age of Star Wars. And these are comics that were licensed from other sources. In this case, it's John Carter, Warlord of Mars, which was licensed from the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate. And in other cases, it's things like Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and 2001, A Space Odyssey and Godzilla and et cetera, et cetera. So um, today we're looking at John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 19, which has a December 1978 cover date. So this issue is uh, on sale date of September 26, 1978, same day as Jaws 2 from our Marvel Super Special number six episode last, uh, the last uh, segment that we did with the Marvel's Cosmic Comics. The other thing that's uh, interesting is I kept being, uh, I, I kept getting mixed up and wanting to say that the artist of that book was uh, Ernie Colon. It was not Ernie Colon, it was Gene Colon. And I don't know if they say their names the same way, but it kept getting mixed up. But for this issue of John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 19, Ernie Colon is the artist. And I don't know if that's why I kept getting it mixed up or just because my brain is a jumble right now. And it is quite possible that it is because my brain is a jumble right now. It really is a jumble, right? I don't know. Uh, that's enough about my brain being a jumble right now. But if any words come out weird, that's why. It's because my brain is a jumble right now. So um, this uh, issue was written by Chris Claremont and penciled by Ernie Cullen, as I mentioned. Frank Springer is the inker. Clem Robbins, the letterer. Roger Stern, the editor. Bob Sharon, the colorist. And Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. And I just want to say right now that there's some unfortunate artwork in this. I really, I don't know if this is Ernie at fault or if this is Frank at fault or if this is just calling them by their first names as if, you know, I'm, I'm their peer or something, but um, there's real problems with the artwork and it, it might not be either of them. It might just be, they just don't mix and they just aren't jiving on this one. Um, it's especially with the male characters that there's the, the bodies and the uh, proportions of, you know, legs and arms and torsos and heads and necks and stuff 
just it just doesn't work for me. And now for the women, there's maybe more time being spent or maybe it's because there's less clothing. The women, their faces tend to look better. Their bodies tend to look more proportional. And I, I just I don't know. I, I don't know what the deal is, but um, maybe it's intentional. I mean, these are not supposed to be human uh, characters or Martian characters either. I mean, they're, they're meant to be uh, kind of a, a different offspring of life on Mars um, where the males have wings and the females do not. And some of them are kind of giant size and bigger and some of them are smaller and they all have pointed ears. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like, I don't know, maybe there's less lines in drawing the, the female characters because it's just kind of these smooth, the female characters tend to have smooth musculature and smooth shapes. Whereas the male characters tend to have more definition and maybe it's that definition. That's the problem. And, and so maybe that's why the inks and the pencils work better on the female characters as far as keeping them proportional. I just don't know. But whenever men are doing anything in this comic, it's just like, ugh, feels amateur. It, and, and so honestly, there, this is a problem for me uh, because I, I feel like, you know, they're, they're giving more attention to the female form and they're definitely bringing attention to the female form, putting them in as little clothing as, as possible. So the story is, you know, uh, John, John Carter and Deja Thoris, husband and wife are caught in this civilization, this culture, uh, that lives in this deep Valley underground in a cave. And like I said, some of them have wings, the men have wings and some of them are giant and they kind of evolved that way. They don't know why it just happened. And actually this, this uh, particular issue gives their backstory and tells how they were escaping some volcanoes and stuff like that. And they found this Valley and they found this cave and they felt very safe in this place. And it's this wondrous place. Um, slowly over time because the men evolved with wings, they started like building their homes in these giant, um, I can't remember if stalactites or stalagmites stalactites. I think are, I think are the ones that are hanging down from the, the top. Um, and they built, you know, these, these walkways and stuff, but then because they have wings, they're able to fly between them easily. And it's, you know, they've been there ever since, and this is their world. And as far as they are concerned, there is a wall outside in the valley and beyond this wall in the valley is hell. And it is, um, and, and that's where, you know, the, the Martian people come from, but it's also where John Carter and Asia Thoris come from. Anyway, um, John Carter has fought hard and has, uh, earned and gained a, a place of authority and respect with the people there. And Deja Thoris has earned a place of lust for the leader there. And so John Carter thought he was going to be able to get his wife back because he earned this place. But the leader of the place um, trumps anything that John Carter could possibly have earned. And the leader takes Deja Thoris. And Deja Thoris, in, in the beginning of this, she ignores John Carter as she strides into the room on the arm of the leader and kisses him and <clears throat> it's it's really bad john carter is not happy with this and he feels like he's being betrayed by her and he's trying to you know 
come back to it. Everything he does, he does for her, and he feels like he's being betrayed because she is definitely returning the affection to the leader. He gets alone with her, though, and she says how much she missed him, and he's really surprised. He says, well, you know, you you missed me. You want some comfort from me. Well, you know, maybe you should turn back to um, that leader guy. And she slaps him and she's angry because uh, everything she does, she's doing for John Carter. And that includes kissing. And it is implied uh, far more than that uh, with, with this leader guy, but she's doing all these things basically. So she can stay alive to keep him alive. And, and it's, again, it's, it's done all for him. It's it's troubling um, with modern sensibilities, and I'm you know I, I'm thinking through like things uh, you know stories I've heard from history where people you know with different they had different uh, sexual attitudes and that sort of thing, and it, it is a troubling thing looking at it right now. Uh, also troubling is that when um, John Carter leaves and he's angry because she basically just lectured him about trusting her and. Uh, you know, you should have trusted me. And now I, I see I'm mistaken that you wouldn't trust me. And I, I, I trusted that you would forgive me, but I'm mistaken about that. And she leaves. And so he's in a funk and he goes and some guys are getting his way on a giant bridge and they have wings. So if they fall off the bridge, they're not going to die, except that he cuts off their wings as he's fighting them and pushes them off. And like, it's really brutal. And all this stuff, all of this stuff is, you know, it's written from a different time and not just from the time it was written in the seventies or the time, you know, that John Carter was written in the early 1900s, but it's written to present this kind of barbaric and savage place. And, and, and that's the appeal. I mean, that's the appeal to, of Conan, the barbarian. That's the appeal of John Carter is just this savagery and this bar barbarism. But you have these two people, John Carter and Dejah Thoris. Now this is me speaking. I don't know if this is like the, the big appeal for everything, but you have them trying to overcome this. You know, they're, they have this love, this uh, unstoppable love that I'm hoping, you know, will be mended by the end of this. I'm sure it is because of what I know about things that happen in books that take place after this, but they have this love for each other that transcends the savagery of the place and the time. And that, that's a part of the appeal for me is that, yes, there is this kind of muscular uh, testosterone fueled battle scenes and stuff like that, um, that appeal to that base nature. But then you also have this relationship between the two of them that also, like I said, transcends all of the barbarism. But yes, after John Carter has that little fight, he... He goes off and learns the backstory from one of his friends. And then he and his friend, um, who, by the way, has uh, love for a red Martian. And he can't have that love for that red Martian, of course. And so uh, he and Garthen, uh, his, his friend who lives there, who doesn't have wings yet, they go, they're summoned to the wall. And this is a cool, fantastic uh, element that they're putting in here, this giant wall that protects them from this other race. Uh, I'm not sure how you would uh, pronounce it, but they're Pitothians. Pitothians, I think it's PT. It starts with a PT. Um, maybe it's silent, uh, you know, because you know why you can't hear uh, pterodactyls 
go to the bathroom because the P is silent. Uh, so maybe it's that Tothians, but I think it's Patothians. And it turns out they were sent there and I, I get a vibe and I'm, I'm going to explain the vibe in a moment here, but they fight and there are so many soldiers and they have catapults and everything and they're fighting. Now these guys have wings, but the people who are invading do not have wings and they seem to be almost like cavemen or, uh, they're, they're, they're definitely more of a stocky race, not a muscular, but stocky race, more um, hairy and, and definitely more savage and, and barbaric. Um, normally, the wall will be enough to keep them away. But in this case, they have now brought flying lizards and they're riding flying lizards. And they're also riding climbing lizards that are climbing the wall. And there there is this big, massive battle and the battle just every panel in this battle just doesn't feel right. And, and I long, I long for those early days of, of John Carter where the artwork was just so, so fantastic. And you had uh, Gil, Gil Kane and, and Carmine Infantino and just this. So just great artwork. And and this is just not that. I, I don't know if it's rushed. I, 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 maybe I just need to stop analyzing that so much, but there's just something about it and it just doesn't work. And I, I do think it maybe is a translation between pencil and ink, but um, yeah, it just, just doesn't feel right. So anyway, they fight and they fight and they fight until at last, there's just two people standing on the, on John Carter's side. And that's John Carter and Garthen. And they just fight and it's, this is, you know, they just keep going, keep going. Then finally everyone's dead and it's quiet. And it's just the two of them. And then they look up and there's more, there's more Pathothians coming and they are ready to kill John Carter and Garthen. And it is a great cliffhanger. I mean, as far as story goes, you've got some really cool stuff going on with the, the conflict between John Carter and Dejah Thoris. Um, I get the impression and they don't really say it here, but I get the impression that um, it's kind of a King David and Bathsheba kind of situation here where, um, King David is as king, he is staying home and all of his men are in, in battle and he sees Bathsheba who is married to one of his best warriors and best officers. But he sees her on the rooftop as he's out on top of his palace looking down. He sees her on the rooftop bathing and he is filled with lust and he just brings her in to his house and he gets her pregnant. And so he brings her husband back from the war and his her husband will not sleep with her because why should he when his men in arms and brothers in arms can't be with their loved ones? And so David gets angry and actually gives then an order to go into battle when he returns back, gives the order, go into battle. And then I want you I want you to have all the soldiers retreat except for Bathsheba's husband. And then Bathsheba's husband is surrounded and killed. And that's how David gets out of his situation. Of course, the situa- he's not out of the situation. You know, there's still consequences to be had for now murder and adultery. I mean, there's two commandments here that, that King David is breaking. I'm feeling like here that it's that kind of situation. It doesn't say it outright, but I think that the leader of the people intentionally had John Carter and Garthen brought in when he knew there was going to be attack. And I'm almost wondering if the leader of the people 
um, maybe allowed the attack or incited the attack. I don't know. I have not read next. Next issue is Battle at the Bottom of the World. I'm very, very curious and kind of excited to find out what is going to happen here uh, in spite of the artwork, I guess. Good story to me. Trump's artwork. No problem. But anyway, that is John Carter issue number 19. And while the artwork is not the greatest, the storyline is still really pretty good. And I'm holding, you know, my time machine in this situation is this giant hardcover volume, this omnibus volume. Uh, best $25 I've ever spent on comics. I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying that right now. And that's still with, I don't know how many issues left to go, but, uh, it's, it's just been a very enjoyable discovery to quote, go back in time and read these issues, these issues of a comic book that I had heard of, but never read. And just discovering them now is so much fun. So in our next segment, we're going to be taking a look at the final issues of the run of Devil Dinosaur and Man, uh, Machine Man, and then also taking a look at what was within the ads and stuff of the comics of that month, and anything else interesting that might come up as I'm looking at uh, cover date December 1978. But for the time being, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for listening, and um, I did... <laughs> Uh, I did finally check email and turns out there were 500 unread messages, but it was okay. You know why? Because it was 500 unread messages that were Twitter notifications. So I don't feel bad anymore that I wasn't getting to someone's comments or something like that. So, um, but do feel free now I will be, uh, I'm actually going to set it up. So my email forwards automatically to my Gmail account, which will be easier for me to handle and instead of the GoDaddy account. But Feel free to, to write in at uh, feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com or go into our Facebook page, facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine. And to um, people who have been listening, again, thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope you are enjoying it. I'm enjoying it myself, which is why I'm doing it. But um, I hope you're enjoying this. And I hope that maybe this is causing you to, to maybe dig out these things or, or, or seek out these things. So, Yeah. Other than that, I don't have much to say except, yeah, Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, magically transported to a terrifying tomorrow world, Devil savagely faces the Lizard's Last Stand. That's Double Dinosaur number nine. And this is the big one, the most dramatic turning point in the living robot's career in Final Battle. Machine Man number nine, final issues of both.
everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. You may know me from the Green Lantern podcast, The Lantern Cast. You also may know me from making promises across the comics podcasting community concerning a new project I've been working on. An Action Comics Weekly podcast, to be precise. Well, it's time to deliver on that promise. The Action Comics Weekly podcast is a bi-weekly podcast featuring myself and a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts discussing the characters appearing in the comic series of the same name from the late 1980s. So, starting this summer, join me and Mark Marble as we discuss Green Lantern. For all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted... (laughs) Star Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. Jay Jones, as we discuss Wild Dog. He straight up, like you said, he, he murders these people. And that's that's not my DC Comics. That's not superheroic at all. Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. But the story this story is it's it's not bad, it's not great. It's it's like the character himself. It's like he's just it's just there. It just exists. Ben Avery, as we discuss The Secret Six. So when I read this alone, as I was reading through this this issue, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction, and without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like you know the, the second chapter as much. Doug Zavisha, as we discuss Dead Man. <laughs> well... It's, it's a kind of a waffly dead man story. It wants to be a dead man story. It starts to be a dead man story. It forgets it's a dead man story. And then it comes back to being one. Um, all in the span of eight pages. Alan Middleton as we discuss Blackhawk. That there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm-hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that tapping into that fertile story and michael bailey as we discuss superman there is really no way to tie this two-page strip into that so it really exists in its own world at a time where the superman books were becoming more and more linked so it's this oddity on a number of levels and many other characters featuring many more guest hosts along the way. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast, coming soon, summer 2016. Find us on Facebook for more details.